Hello, and welcome to Thriving Educators. I am Brian Langley. In this episode, second grade teacher Jillian Hattie and I discuss chapter seven of Jerry Brophy's little booklet, Teaching. Specifically, Jillian and I reflect on practice and application activities. You will hear my conversation with Jillian first, and then a segment where I share some of my thoughts on the topic. Enjoy. Jillian Hattie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so today's podcast is about chapter seven from Jerry Brophy's little booklet, Teaching. And that chapter is called Practice and Application Activities. And as far as the chapters go, it's a robust page and a half. And um, I think it's just a gem of a chapter. And so there's a little blurb underneath the title that says, Students need sufficient opportunities to practice and apply what they are learning and to receive improvement-oriented, no, oriented feedback. So, Jillian, as you've read this chapter, um, I'm curious, did anything in particular stand out to you? Yes, there were so many important things that stood out to me. Um, One thing that I highlighted as I was reading it was kind of toward the bottom. It said, to be useful, practice must involve opportunities not only to apply skills, but also to receive timely feedback. So I thought that was super important after reading everything and talking about the practice. That was one thing that really stood out for me was not only is practicing important, but making sure that students get feedback that is timely and, you know, important as well. Okay. So feedback to me is really important too. And I think about it in a couple different ways. So there's the, there's the daily work kind of feedback. And then there's also when they take an assessment and how quickly I can get the feedback back to them. Yeah. And I'm a teacher who, when I give an assessment, um, and we're talking like high school, this is physics. So like a high school physics, full class period assessment, I want those graded back to them the next day. Um, Sometimes even before they leave school, they know how well they did. And I think my students appreciate that. Of course, I I have assessments that can be graded that quickly, and it's not so much of a burden on me to be able to do that. But I'm curious when you talk about that and this stood out to you, which which way were you thinking? How were you thinking about it? Yeah, I would say the first thing that popped in mind to me was just positive feedback. I would mm-hmm. say I teach second grade, so um, I'm constantly all day long trying to give positive feedback, whether it's behaviors, whether mm. it's work that they're doing, things like that. So all day, if I see a behavior that I like, I will say, oh, I really like that so-and-so is putting their pencil pouch away or wow, I really like that so-and-so is lined up so nicely. So I really try to give positive feedback. Mm-hmm. I feel like that really helps build the culture of my classroom and mm-hmm. they know that they are supported. They know that you know they are cared for and I think that they hear those great things. Um, and I think I try to give in the moment feedback when they are working on anything. We are so busy all day, as I imagine every teacher is, you're constantly going from activity to activity and I am constantly having them check in with me, see what they're working on. And I give positive feedback in that way too, where, um, some examples, we're doing some 
opinion writing right now and this is like a new topic for us and so I will have the kids read it out loud and we'll give feedback and say the things we liked about it the things that were strong about it and of course you know I'll conference with them one-on-one and say oh this was a really great try but I want you to try this instead Mm -hmm. things like that so I'm constantly trying to give more positive feedback but of course there are moments where you do need to maybe tweak some things along the way. I love that you brought that up so with these students, you're talking about you're watching their work, you're evaluating their work, you want to give them feedback, but you don't want to discourage them. Absolutely. So you want to keep building them up so that they keep wanting to work. Yes. So we talked in a previous po- uh, podcast about the importance of motivation in terms of having students have the opportunity to learn. Yeah. And as a parent of kids who are now in high school, but as they were going through grade school, like one thing I realized is that School shouldn't be a place where kids feel bad about themselves. Right. Like it doesn't have to be that way. We're just trying to teach them and to get them to learn. And so it seems like you can still correct students and you can still push them and, and have high expectations for them and correct them when things, when they've, when they've done something that's maybe incorrect or they could do something better, mm-hmm. but you can frame it in a way that's positive. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, I definitely try to. And, <laughs> you know, I think in my, again, my classroom culture, I think I've kind of built that in the sense that like, you know, if someone is sharing something in front of the whole classroom, when they finish, we'll give them a cheer. We'll do like a woohoo and like nice. say their name and things like that. So I think they get feedback in that way where they're, mm-hmm. um, you know, realizing like, yes, I crushed this. Like, this is awesome. So I try to give feedback in all areas all throughout the day. Um, trying for it to be positive but you know like I said there are those moments where you kind of have to say like oh you know you really gave it a good try but let's maybe do this instead or things like that so okay so Jillian one thing that stood out to you is this idea of feedback so when students are practicing that you're providing feedback and the feedback that you like to provide is this positive feedback that always has this spin on it keeps kids motivated um, and positive Was there anything else from the chapter that stood out to you? Yeah, there was a section that talked about how practice should be applied um, through skills that they are doing in everyday, you know, learning um, that they shouldn't necessarily be isolated. So I thought that was very powerful and just, you know, a great reminder. Yeah. So Brophy says it should be practice should be embedded within application contexts. And so this this is like something that just keeps coming up, I feel like this idea that we want to be having students um, continuously like contextualizing what they're learning mm-hmm. so that they're connecting it to their prior learning they're connecting it to other things whether it's new knowledge they're connecting it to old knowledge and we're consistently building this context so as they practice we should be doing that as well absolutely as well. Yeah. yeah okay great so jillian what does this look like in your classroom then it looks like all sorts of things okay, i let's feel talk like about it. <laughs> i feel like everything i've learned along the way from school myself from other teachers that I've watched I just feel like I grab little bits from each little Mm -hmm. you know tidbit I've learned and try and place it wherever it fits so of course I do you know the day in and day out we're reading we're writing we do that kind of stuff but I love to find creative ways to have students practice the things that we're learning so I do all sorts of things I'm a big technology person so I love to dabble and try different technology um I use things like Flipgrid where they make videos and they can, you know, show off what they've learned that way. Um, I use Seesaw a ton. We just recently did Google Slides. And you caught me on a good day today because we did just try something brand new today. Um, 
it was this app called Goose Chase. And in our classroom, we had been learning about shapes and shape attributes. So we went outside and we were taking pictures of all the things outside. So I love to just dabble in all sorts of things and um, try new things. And I love to kind of bring that to my students, especially in the example of trying a new app today. Um, you know, I even say to them, like, this is new and I'm trying something new. Like, you can try new things, too, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And be patient with me because I'm still learning just like you're learning. So I try to kind of model that as well through the things that I have them practice with. Okay, so um, talk me through a little bit about how receptive they were to the new technology and what were they practicing? Yeah, so we are getting ready for a math test where they okay. had to... They had to um, they do different shape attributes and they're learning about arrays and learning about, you know, three-sided shapes and okay. vertices and all sorts of stuff like that. So um, I wanted them to go outside and see these things in on the playground, on the sidewalk, on, you know, so they did a really awesome job of, you know, taking it and running with it. And there were like a couple of kinks that had happened. And I, I said that to them, like, this is my first time mm -hmm. ever trying it. When I tested it out, it didn't work. And so we're just going to go with the flow and it's going to be great. So they are very receptive to it. And I have been making mistakes since the first day of school. So they are kind of used to it and they, they get with me and they are supportive of me just like I'm supportive of them. Yeah. And that's great because you bring up another thing that came up in an earlier podcast is this idea that having classrooms where it's okay to make mistakes Yeah, and the importance of the teacher modeling that for their students. Mm -hmm. And so when students practice, they're going to make mistakes. Yes. And when they try new technologies, they're going to make mistakes and that's yeah. okay. And that's all part of the learning process. And, uh, you know, we learn from those mistakes and get better. Yeah. Um, vertices though, in second grade, <laughs> it's the real you deal around awesome, there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not messing around. <laughs> you are not. All right. Uh, you've discussed like, um, practicing using the, this different technology and how you're modeling for the students that, um, you know, you're going to make mistakes and they're going to make mistakes and that's part of practice and it's okay. And, uh, but I'm curious, like, um, you know, how else does practice, what, what else does practice look like in your classroom? Yeah, so um, we kind of do a bunch of different things. Um, mm -hmm. We start off often with a mini lesson, like a whole group um, instruction where I'm, you know, scaffolding things a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I had mentioned uh, a little bit with our writing, and we just recently started a brand new unit. We just started writing on lined paper, so this is like a big deal around here. But right. <laughs> but so learning just how the paper is, you know lined up and yeah. using the holes, whatever. So we're doing a lot of scaffolding with that. So um, we, for example, we um, tested some Smarties. We're writing reviews. And so we tested Smarties. And okay. it was like, how do you feel about the Smarties? Look at the texture. Look at the packaging, things like that. And then we took that and transferred it onto this loose leaf paper. But, you know, this was so new, something we have never done before that I went, you know, bit by bit where I would teach them, okay, indent, mm -hmm. go ahead and write your first sentence. And I walked around, made sure everyone was good, checked back in, you know, give me a thumbs up if you're ready to move on. So we're practicing a lot with, you know, just after I scaffold and then they do it, I check in, we come back together. Um, we do a lot of partner work in my classroom too, where they can practice with one another. So um, in math, we often kind of do something similar where we teach it. I teach a mini lesson. They go off and practice independently, but then when they finish, they are able to um, work with a partner and we have all these different math games that they can play that hone in on different skills. So um, they're practicing with a partner, getting feedback from a partner um, and really collaborating together. Right, so, and this goes right back into what Brophy's talking about. This idea that the practice that you're talking about sounds like 
um, you are practicing these things, but in the context of of other things and, and connecting it with other things. Absolutely. And so you're talk, you know, you're having students work on their math, and they're probably learning like addition math facts. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're they're talking to each other about you know, a little bit of a quantitative theory or something yeah. about uh, how did you figure that out or how do you know this? And um, you talk about the, uh, about writing. And, you know, I really appreciate that you bring up the idea of scaffolding. Um, I don't, you teach second grade, mm-hmm. right? So I teach physics. Uh, scaffolding is some, it's just like, is something that's important that never goes away. Yeah. And it could just be what, what is it that you're scaffolding for them? Um, you're scaffolding and having them practice how to even use lined paper. Yes. But then they get good at it, don't they, from <laughs> yeah. their practice? Because yeah. I don't have to scaffold that yeah. anymore, typically, I don't think. We're still working on it, but, you know, yeah. it's a work in progress. All right. <laughs> okay, great. So I am. Uh, your classroom sounds fun and positive, and kids are getting in lots of practice. I'm sure they're getting better at what you guys are working on. Um, I'm curious, as you reflect over your career and you think about uh, practice. Um, how has your, you know, thinking changed in this area? Or how have you evolved in this area? Yeah, I definitely have grown a ton in my ability to take risks and to try new things and to make mistakes. I was always that kid growing up who was always afraid to ask for help. I didn't want to look dumb. I didn't want to be embarrassed. And I have really had to grow in my mindset as a teacher of being okay to try things even if you don't know a ton about it, just jumping both jumping in with both feet and giving it a try and learning along the way. So I think that is just something that has grown a ton as I've, you know, continued throughout my teaching career that I am more willing and I'm more okay with just trying it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just flopping in front of the kids and it's okay. Um, I also have gotten really good and I'm proud of myself for this that I just love to have fun with it. And I think, you know, practicing things can be monotonous, Mm -hmm. but I try really hard to make it fun. And when the kids are having fun, they're learning, you know, if I'm having fun, they're having fun. So I just really have grown a ton in both of those areas throughout my career. Yeah. I think those are both very good messages for, for teachers out there who aren't quite comfortable yet making mistakes and they, and they worry about that. It's so much better when you can get past that and you can just embrace that, Sometimes things don't go right and everything's going to be okay. Yes. <laughs> and then that second point, you know, you talk about how practice can be monotonous and how, you know, you just want to have fun with it. Um, even if it's, even if it is monotonous, like this chapter talks about just how important practice is mm-hmm. and how we get better when, um, or the learning is stronger when we get that skill all the way to the point of it being, I forget what word he uses. I'll look it up here. Um, Brophy talks about, you know, practicing something to the point of it being smooth. And in that, sometimes that takes a lot of practice. Yeah. And some of it's going to be monotonous, but it sounds like, you know, you're trying to um, embrace it mm-hmm. and uh, make it fun for the kids. And in the end, hopefully, if they are improving those areas, then they're going to be proud of themselves and thinking that it's, it's kind of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Jillian Hattie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun and um, it was such a pleasure. Great. Okay, so I appreciate what Jillian had to share about her second grade classroom. And I want to take a moment here and do something I haven't really done before on the podcast, and that's go it alone for a few minutes. Every one of these chapters from Brophy 
highlight important things to keep in mind about effective teaching. But this chapter contains a few points that I want to chime in on. So if you'll forgive me, the next five minutes or so are going to be me sharing my thoughts on a couple of things. Okay, first, in this chapter, Brophy says, quote, it is important to follow up thorough initial teaching with occasional review activities and with opportunities for students to use what they are learning in a variety of application contexts. I think this is so important and something that we don't always do well, especially when our minds envision learning in discrete units. So like, I'm going to do this unit, teach this stuff for this unit, then I'm going to move on to the next unit, teach the stuff for that unit, and I don't go back to the previous unit. I view Brophy's line as a nod to the cognitive research on spaced retrieval practice or to Robert Bjork's theory of disuse. The idea here is that when we mass practice something, when we do it over and over again in a short period of time, the learning gains that look so strong in the moment often fade rather quickly. But by coming back to that learning again, especially after allowing for some time to pass, and then drawing on that learning from our memories, we strengthen that learning as we remind ourselves of it and make new connections to it. And this action of spaced retrieval, it strengthens that learning for the next time we want to use it. And if we let some time pass again and repeat the process, the learning will continue to strengthen. So as I think about practice in the context of my classroom, I try to consider how I might be putting students in positions to access previously learned material and skills so that they can reinforce those previous learnings. Okay, second, when Brophy mentioned the desire to reach a level where learned skills are smooth, he also used the word automaticity. And I think about things like letter sounds and math facts with this, but it likely applies to much more. And here's the thing, some people will hear that word automaticity and cringe because there's this notion out there that memorizing something is bad. And so memorizing something to the point where it's automatic, that must be like really bad. But that's just not true. Rote memorization, the memorizing of things in isolation, okay, that's bad. But our memories are literally the physiological records of the things we've learned. Learning lives in our memory. So well-connected memorization is actually really, really good. When we know a skill to the point where it is smooth and automatic, that frees up our thinking power to solve problems with those skills or to learn more with those skills, to do something with those skills. So I'm grateful to Brophy for including that in this chapter. And third, Brophy dedicates a paragraph to homework. I'll admit, I'm not a huge fan of homework. I have three kids of my own, all in high school right now, and I know how busy they are after school, and I know how they already spent seven or eight hours at school anyway. I also know that I want them to get something out of their education, and that practicing at home can help in this regard. Brophy talks about homework that is, quote, realistic in length and difficulty. And I feel like this makes sense. When I think about homework, I think two things. One, the most important stuff should always take place in the classroom with guidance from the teacher. 
And two, if there is going to be homework, the class time hopefully has been maximized, or at least attempted to be maximized. Students already dedicate seven or eight hours a day to school. We need to make sure we're using that time wisely as possible before asking our students to give more. Okay, those are my thoughts. Thanks for your time. Okay, that wraps up another episode of Thriving Educators. Thank you to Jillian Hattie for sharing your expertise with me. And take care, everyone.